If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll get to those stories in just a moment, but we begin tonight with breaking news. Three people found dead inside a home in Surrey, and the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team has now taken over the case. Aaron MacArthur is live outside the Fraser Heights house. And Aaron, what are you learning about the home in question and the people who live there? Yeah, Chris, there is real shock in the neighborhood tonight. This house on 112th Avenue was operated as an after-school tutoring business, and people have been showing up all afternoon. It appears classes still scheduled. People asking us what happened, and, and unfortunately the answers at this point are very few. I can tell you that the RCMP arrived at this scene at about 12 this afternoon, finding three dead bodies inside. The integrated homicide team was called shortly afterwards and the investigation began. Forensics teams on scene searching for evidence. I can say the RCMP uh, informed the public there's no risk to the general population. I can say there's nobody else that was found in this house. The crime scene also unusual in that it is just confined to this one property. We spoke to a woman earlier whose kids take French lessons here, said she spoke to the owner of the home on Friday. I'm really shocked because I can't believe this happened, you know, so I, I don't know why exactly happening, you know, over there. So I was truly, you know, shocked. It's like, uh, and then, uh, as, as I know, they're like a, a, a lovely family. And then, you know, so I... We'll continue to monitor this situation as the night unfolds. We have requests into the integrated homicide team for more information. We'll bring that to you when we get it. Chris, Sophie. All right. Thanks very much for that. Aaron MacArthur reporting live for us in Surrey tonight. The Surrey man accused of stabbing his wife to death last month appeared in court this morning. This was 40-year-old Navinder Gill's first court appearance since being charged with second-degree murder. Gill was arrested at his Newton home in early December when police found his wife, Harpreet Kaur Gill, with multiple stab wounds. Navinder Gill was later released but was officially charged later that week. A GoFundMe has been launched for the victim's family. The accused lawyer spoke outside court today, conveying his condolences to the victim's family. The victim here, Ms. Harpreet Kaur uh, Gill, she's a mother, she's a wife, uh, she's a daughter, uh, she's a sister of someone, and uh, our condolences go out to the entire family. And regardless of whatever happens uh, in court in the future, uh, it won't be enough, uh, you know, to bring justice to the family because we won't be able to uh, bring back uh, a lost one here. Gill's next court appearance will be in February. The provincial, the provincial government is announcing new measures to support internationally trained nurses to get them to work faster here in B.C. As Richard Zussman tells us, pressure is mounting on the health care system, and this helps bring in reinforcements sooner. 
The BC government sending out an emergency call to speed up the process to get internationally trained nurses working here. Making sure that nobody is on the sidelines while we're facing this challenge in our healthcare system, that is our focus, that's what today's announcement is about. On Monday, the BC government using one of the few empty medical beds in the province as a backdrop, waiving more than $3,700 in costs for internationally educated nurses on applications and assessments, helping to fast track the 2,000 nurses currently here in the province ready to work and the 5,000 more who have inquired about coming here. This announcement means uh, that there are nurses right now, 2,000 nurses right now that are in this approval pipeline that could be on the floor in hospitals within 90 days. But the BC Nurses Union quick to point out there are currently more than 5,200 nursing vacancies in BC. The goal is with these changes to take four to nine months for a foreign accredited nurse to get through the accreditation process. Things do move slowly, but that's still a lot better than the six years it's been taking. On Monday, the province opening 20 emergency operation centres across BC, including here at the Royal Jubilee Hospital. The changes announced allow the BC government to get new nurses in these facilities as quickly as possible. It represents an important change for people so that they're not uh, dramatically out of pocket. Um, this is, uh, let's be frank, uh, nurses are in significant demand. The province is also providing new financial support for any nurse returning to practice. The opposition saying these measures should have been in place long ago. We have always believed that looking at a more efficient way to welcome internationally educated uh, professionals to our province it should have been done long ago. BC has been first in terms of new registered nurses per capita in Canada since 2017 when this government took over. But the current government points out the hill is steep, considering before that, BC was dead last. Richard Osman, Global News, Victoria. As always, there's more to it, and Keith Baldry has it for us. What do you know, Keith, about the current hospital capacity? We've been keeping an eye on that lately. Yeah, still a lot of people in the hospital, Chris. Going into the weekend, more than 10,200 people were in a hospital in B.C. The numbers have gone down a little bit. So take a look at the current situation. As of today, 10,061 people are occupying beds, and that's down 165. That represents 109 capacity of base beds. So we're still over capacity when it comes to that, and it means 859 patients are in what are called surge beds that kick into action when we run out of base beds. And these are people in, in odd locations in hospitals, hallways, even closets, sunrooms and such. We've seen that in the past. That is a high number of people in those locations. Health Minister Adrian Nix saying the emergency operations centers that went into effect today were required because of a whole bunch of factors coming together at the worst possible time. There are a lot of people in hospital, historically high levels of people in hospital that we're facing the most challenging period in healthcare, which is typically January and February. We're in the midst of a respiratory illness season and, and a pandemic that uh, uh, health systems are dealing with around the world. And so the reason to put these, these um, emergency operations centers in place across the province was to assist in that, support our healthcare staff, and mostly to support our patients. Well, Keith, uh, one of the factors in all of this is, is what we have heard called the triple-demic. Mm -hmm. COVID, respiratory yeah. illnesses. Uh, what are hospitalizations like for those illnesses now? 
Yeah, we've been showing these numbers uh, quite regularly in recent weeks, Chris. The good news is right across the board, there's been a slight decline in people in hospital with respiratory illnesses. Here's the, the big three, as we call them. COVID-19, 349 people, but that's down seven from Friday. Influenza continues to drop dramatically. It was well over 100 just a week ago. Now at 49, that's a decline of 12. RSV is still hanging around, 132 hospitalizations, but that's down 20 from Friday as well. So hopefully these are indicators that will continue to go in the same direction. Uh, they do go up and down from day to day, but what we're seeing is a steady but slow decline in the number of people with respiratory illnesses in hospital. But these emergency resource operations, emergency operations centers are going to be in place for six weeks because uh, you don't necessarily get rid of the problem overnight. No, but it is a trend we're happy to see. Thanks very much, Keith. It's a facility supposedly ready to help people in need of mental health supports. White Rock's Peace Arch Hospital just completed a multi-million dollar upgrade, but it's sitting empty because of a dispute over how to staff it. Catherine Urquhart reports. White Rock's Peace Arch Hospital has a brand new dedicated mental health and substance use unit. It features two private consult rooms, patient exam room, seclusion room, waiting area, and nursing station, part of a multi-million dollar upgrade. But despite a huge demand for mental health resources, that unit is empty. There is no excuse for a delay like this, and I certainly would expect the government should be answering as to why there's a delay. This is um, a unit that's been actually ready to be opened since October. Upgrades to the hospital were largely funded by the Peace Arch Hospital Foundation. Sources have told Global News the mental health and substance use unit isn't open due to a battle over who will pay for staffing. With respect to issues around beds, I don't think uh, you characterize it as a disagreement between the Ministry of Health and the health authorities. I don't think that's the case. And we're working to ensure that people have the services they need as soon as possible. According to last year's Special Committee on Reforming the Police Act, White Rock RCMP respond to 150 mental health calls every year. That translates to approximately 375 hours of police time spent at Peace Arch Hospital with those patients. These are specialized rooms that can be used to treat people who are in a mental health crisis. Instead of putting someone through an emergency room or having them sit in a waiting room. Fraser Health told Global News it's working to hire staff and fill the required roles as quickly as possible. As for when the new mental health and substance use unit might be operational, no timeline was provided. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. The RCMP say there's a 40% job vacancy at its emergency communication centers across Canada. The QP local representing RCMP emergency communication specialists says the staff shortage can put Canadians in danger and puts undue pressure on staff. They also say... As the first point of contact in an emergency, Canadians are often left with long waits for a response. The union is urging the public to write to the Minister of Public Safety and the RCMP Commissioner to help end the staffing issues. Another troubling escalation of violence on Vancouver's downtown east side, this time targeting police and paramedics. Amadagahi reports. The response was quick and serious from the Vancouver police after they say paramedics responding to a call and then later officers came under fire from a building above and a man with a pellet gun. It was somebody who was uh, in an elevated position in one of the rooming houses shooting at them and their ambulance with a pellet gun. It happened late Sunday night. 
First responders were forced to take shelter while police arrived at the alleyway behind the Carnegie Community Center at Main and Hastings Street in the downtown east side. Officers were able to spot the shooter who was reportedly firing through a window from a suite at the adjacent Maple Hotel. Anytime somebody's shooting projectiles at anybody, whether it's first responders or anybody from an elevated position, it's incredibly concerning. The emergency response team was called and after a search of the building, police found and arrested a 45-year-old man. The person that we arrested and the person that we believe was shooting at both paramedics and police is a man who was currently on bail uh, for another violent crime uh, and he was also wanted BC wide for theft. Scary incident and it really highlights the risk that happens every day. Vancouver police say an officer suffered minor injuries. The paramedics were not hurt. The ambulance paramedics of BC quick to highlight concerns of this happening just months after a shooting at the trail ambulance station last fall. The situation can happen anywhere and uh, it's really disturbing that somebody would do this to uh, target uh, paramedics who are there to help people. On the same night, police say a transit bus was also shot in the downtown east side and left with a shattered window. Given the, uh, the location, the time uh, and the circumstances, uh, we'll be looking closely to determine whether or not this is the, also the person who's responsible for uh, what we believe was a shooting of a, a bus on Saturday morning in the area as well. Imadagahi, Global News. A 40-year-old man has died after being stabbed last night just outside of Vancouver shelter. Police say the victim, a shelter resident, was stabbed after a fight broke out between two people near Yukon Street and West 5th Avenue. No arrests have been made yet, and VPD is asking anyone with information to please come forward. We are hearing tonight about problems at another Vancouver SRO. A resident of St. Helens Hotel on Granville says the elevator has been broken for months. A major challenge for those who live there, some of whom are seniors and people with disabilities. Krista Dow has more on why repairs are taking so long and the response from the province who owns the building and the society that manages it. Going up is way Every day, it's a constant battle for Justin Brown, struggling up and down the stairs of the six-story St. Helens SRO on Granville Street. It's tiring, man. I'm exhausted. I don't even have the energy to... Whenever I get home, I have to take a break before going up the stairs. The SRO, home to many seniors or people with health or addiction issues, or residents like Brown who has mobility challenges. He lives on the fourth floor of the 93-unit building. Its only elevator has been broken for nine months. And despite repeated queries, Brown says nothing has been done. At first I was told it'll be fixed soon. And then we were told at the end of the summer it'll be fixed by the end of October. Atira, which manages the building, says the issue is due to a specific part that needed to be ordered from Italy. And the delays are from the province. Atira has done everything in its power to get this elevator fixed. Everything in its power. And the issue is with BC Housing, with the government? The issue is with getting authorizations from the government to fix it. Well, BC's premier says the government is taking a hard look at SROs. The SROs are actually feeding into our homelessness problem because during the summer when they're unlivable for people, uh, they move out and they sleep in the park instead. We need to uh, have a plan for phasing out the SROs, replacing them with dignified housing for people. Back at St. Helens, Atira says repairs will begin this week, but warns the elevator may still not work 
holds comfort for those who rely on that service. I'm fucking angry, man. Like, I'm trying not to swear on the camera, for the camera or whatever, but, like, straight up, man, like, I'm choked. It shouldn't be dangerous for me to go home. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be dangerous. Krista Dow, Global News. Pushing back against the return to work. Federal employees are being asked to show up at the office at least a few times a week, but many want to stay at home. How they're fighting it next on the News Hour. An investigation into the holiday horror show in Canadian air and rail travel. That's coming up. And making TransLink more accessible. How passengers will be able to see the difference later. Right now, though, flexible work-from-home arrangements are about to come to an end for federal government employees across the country. They've been mandated they have to return to the office at least a couple of times a week starting on Monday. And as Kylie Stanton reports, union reps say the timeline is creating big issues for workers in the capital region. Despite the mishaps and some embarrassing moments. Can you hear me, Judge? It seems many Canadians have gotten used to the idea of working from home. But for federal employees, it's almost time to hang up the sweatpants. So currently what's being mandated to federal public sector workers coast to coast to coast is a return to the office for two to three days per week or 40 to 60 percent of their uh, scheduled work time. And that's left many scrambling. A lot of folks uh, have moderate, uh, modified their child care, their elder care, how they get to work. A lot of people have given up a second car or their primary car. It's going to be quite a culture shock. According to a recent survey of 3,800 Public Sector Association of Canada members, roughly 60% of respondents have been working entirely remotely. While nearly 30% are hybrid, only 4.5% have continued to work full-time in the workplace. When asked their thoughts on the mandatory hybrid work policy coming into effect, 86% were opposed and only 11% were for it. Probably part of it is, is not having a choice. If the new plan doesn't come with some rationale behind it for each individual, I think people are going to be less comfortable with it. But there are some that are truly looking forward to the shift. So this is really very welcome news. Since federal employees started working from home, the business community has seen a huge downturn in traffic. And while things have slowly started picking back up, there's still room for improvement. As they come back, that will be, uh, further strengthen uh, the sort of recovery for our businesses. Um, and again, increase that foot traffic and, and help those uh, local businesses uh, survive. But the union is currently in collective bargaining and has now filed a statutory freeze complaint against the employer with the Canadian Industrial Relations Board. Working from home uh, or teleworking is a bargaining demand we have right now. So unilaterally changing the conditions of work is, is quite frankly against the law. The hybrid work model is expected to be fully implemented by the end of March. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Coming up, the U.S. West Coast takes a beating. The atmospheric river battering California and why it could get even worse. And backlash in Brazil, how the South American country is handling its own attempted insurrection. Extra busy for eastbound traffic at the Portman Bridge tonight after clearing the crash at mid-span and a stall just past the east end. Through a charitable partnership between Kermat Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermat Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center.
latest in a series of storms is slamming California. Today's rain and wind leading to scenes like this in Montecito, which had to be evacuated earlier today. In many places, rivers have burst their banks, flooding roads, and in some cases, entire neighborhoods. In one area in Northern California, rescue teams had to use jet skis to rescue stranded homeowners. The water as high as stop signs in some places. The severe weather is part of a relentless parade of atmospheric rivers hitting the state. The governor of California says he expects the worst is still to come. In the meantime, Brazilian authorities have pledged to track down and try any person associated with a riot at the country's capital complex on Sunday, which left the area and its new government bruised. North American leaders have condemned the attacks, which bear striking similarities to the riots at the U.S. Capitol and were egged on by some allies of former President Donald Trump. Global's Reggie Cicchini has more. Security has been tightened and ordered restored at Brazil's capital. But the damages expose a deep political division across the country. On Sunday, supporters of Brazil's ousted president stormed the government headquarters. It followed baseless claims of election fraud and an unwillingness by Jair Bolsonaro to concede. You have a quasi-authoritarian right-wing former president who doesn't accept an election result. Brazil's new president, only days into his tenure, said those who took part would be found and punished. 1,200 have already been detained. There's been widespread global condemnation, including from North America's three leaders, who in a joint statement said their governments support the free will of the people of Brazil. It boils down more to what can we do together as an international community to make democracy deliver better for its citizens. Not at the rally, former President Bolsonaro, having fled to Florida. The Biden administration is now facing pressure to remove him from U.S. soil. This will be a question for the Brazilian investigation. The great lie, in some ways, was um, building and, and like a pressure cooker in, in, in Brasilia. The chaos bore striking similarities to the attempted insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, which sprouted from dangerous seeds. You have uh, large numbers of pro-Bolsonaro supporters who... Uh, have been fed a steady diet of conspiracy and misinformation and disinformation. Now with a new president sworn in, he's tasked with piecing the country back together. I think he will be successful in, in sort of reaching out and trying to uh, pursue policies that tack to the center. Until then, the world is watching as yet another democracy discovers cracks in its foundation. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. The House of Commons Transport Committee held a special meeting today to address the holiday travel chaos that left thousands of Canadians stranded. Several MPs on the committee are demanding answers and accountability from those responsible, particularly Sunwing Airlines and Via Rail. With the latest, here's Consumer Matters reporter Ann Drua. Ann. Thanks, Chris. Members of the House of Commons Transport Committee have agreed they want to hear from the Federal Transport Minister, Canada's major airlines and passenger rail company, on what went wrong during the holidays. Last month, you may recall, thousands of Canadians faced cancellations and delays due to poor weather, but many were left with little communication from the airlines or compensation. Some MPs on the Standing Committee said today the poor service travellers received could not be blamed solely 
directly on the weather, that Canadians deserve better and that the handling of those disruptions was unacceptable. Others also stated how Canada's approach to air passenger rights is deeply flawed and has fallen short of the model set by the European Union, which airline advocates call the gold standard. We have a failed uh, system in Canada for dealing with passenger rights. We have a clear roadmap for making changes to the legislation and the regulations that would allow us to catch up with the example set by the European Union. And we need to know from the minister when he plans to act, when he plans to table those changes. We should make sure that we uh, don't simply scratch the surface here that we once and for all get down to the bottom of why this has happened now for two travel seasons in a row and what can be done to prevent it from happening in the future because, quite frankly, Canadians deserve better. Meantime, the federal transport minister says he will appear before the standing committee on Thursday. In a statement, the minister's press secretary says it was the Liberal members of the committee who called the emergency meeting and also called for Via Rail and Sunwing to appear to give Canadians answers regarding the delays we saw over the holidays, which were unacceptable. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, great. Thank you, Anne. Just ahead, B.C. researchers discover nature might have given us the key to stopping COVID. What local sea sponges have that might stop the virus in its tracks. Also tonight, beware in the backcountry why the avalanche risk is unusually high this year. Still a little bit of leftover volume here eastbound along Highway 1 towards the Port Membridge after clearing two separate problems, one at mid-span and one at the east end. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. TransLink is launching a new technology pilot aimed at helping customers with vision loss. TransLink says the accessibility tool, which is the first of its kind in Canada, can help passengers with limited vision navigate transit more easily. So starting in late February, you can download the NaviLens app to scan specialized coded decals at three transit locations. Once the decals are scanned, the app provides audio instructions that guide customers to bus stops and exact pickup points. The app can also identify nearby elevators and provide real-time information alerts. Great idea. Mm -hmm. In Health Matters tonight, UBC researchers say they have made what could be a huge breakthrough in the fight against COVID-19 and other viruses. As Travis Prasad shows us, the discoveries started with a humble sea sponge found only in BC. There's no question BC waters are beautiful. But it turns out they might also be medicinal. Everything is shut off. The virus is completely gone. It's pretty cool. In search of new COVID-19 treatments, an international team of researchers led by UBC scientists examined more than 350 disease-fighting compounds produced naturally in plants and animals. Some of these compounds have um, anti-inflammatory properties. Some are anti-cancer anti properties. Anti-malaria. The two-year study uncovered 26 compounds that worked well against COVID-19. The three compounds that did the best job preventing COVID infection were found in Canada. From a sea sponge in Howe Sound near West Vancouver and two samples of marine bacteria, 
one in Barkley Sound off of Vancouver Island and the other in Newfoundland. Surprisingly, we didn't expect, we didn't expect it. Like it's, it's, it's like coincidental that they all best three are from here, right? In the lab, human cells were coated in solutions made from the marine materials, then infected with COVID-19. Very small doses of the sea sponge and bacteria compounds stopped the virus from replicating, allowing the cells to recover. These compounds can block all the, all the virus. We tested Delta, we tested Omicron, BA1, BA2 and BA5. And these compounds, the three, work very well and can block the infection of COVID-19. It's believed these natural remedies would be just as effective against future variants. It's too early to say what treatment would look like. More lab testing and clinical trials are needed. To know which is the best uh, way that this compound could be formulated, if you in the spray or in a pill. For now, the marine medical discovery confirming there's something in the water. Travis Prasad, Global News. Very cool. And just ahead, a better bike helmet. The helmets we had didn't fit. I knew that they needed an option that fit them correctly. How an Ontario mom used her head to protect her sons. And in sports, the Whitecaps welcome their newest member. What Laborda brings to the team. From the stories that touch us all to the events happening all around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. A strong warning tonight from avalanche forecasters. This year's snowpack is historically weak, and that could make for a particularly bad season for avalanches. As Jasmine Bala reports, the experts are comparing the conditions to 20 years ago, one of the deadliest years in our history. Seems like the perfect time to hit the slopes, but it might not be the right move if you're heading to the back country. Human-triggered avalanches are likely they're probably likely to be large enough to bury somebody or kill somebody. Several parts of the province are under moderate to considerable or dangerous avalanche conditions and might be for a while. We have these long, dry, cold period early in the season. It tends to weaken the base of the snowpack. Now we're building all the snowpack on top of these weak layers. What you're left with are these deep, persistent, weak layers. And it's widespread, according to this map from Avalanche Canada. In northern BC, weak layers in the top half of the snowpack. And the same problem overall in the interior, with various weak layers throughout that region and into the North Shore. That makes the snowpack this year unique. People in the backcountry are more likely to trigger an avalanche. And every time we get a new load on it, the big question is whether or not that deep weakness is, is capable of actually holding on to that new load. What makes it even more dangerous, the weak layers are so deep, the snow doesn't show the usual signs of instability. Avalanche Canada says these conditions are similar to 2003, one of the deadliest years on record for avalanche fatalities. Now the snowpack is unique this winter. We have to really use the reliable information out there to make these decisions. So if you're planning on heading into the backcountry, really research the area that you're going to, understand what those updates and those danger ratings mean to your region. So if you're planning on heading into the backcountry, make sure you have the right gear, pay extra attention to terrain, and turn around if you have to. Jazambala, Global News. Be careful out there, that's for sure. No doubt. All right. Uh... 
We just showed some stuff from California, and are we seeing kind of the remnants of what's going on down there right now, Yvonne? Yeah, we're going to continue to track rainfall. It'll be on and off, but there's actually a brief break in the forecast, and I'll have that. There's a bright spot. I'll have more coming up in just a moment, but there is a wave heavy right across the west end right now. It's the areas that we can actually see in orange and yellow with the heavier pockets of rain, similar across the island, and then right behind it, we've got this break that'll kick in. That'll be for the afternoon. Tomorrow, we'll see some sunshine, and then we'll see a number of systems still working its way in. So it's really a parade of storms that will continue to track in the coming days. A heads up. Overnight tonight with the rainfall will dipping down to six degrees. A few showers when you're heading out the front door for work and school should start to dissipate and clear out as we get in towards the afternoon with that sunshine. It'll be pleasant tomorrow. Temperatures getting up to 10 degrees average for this time of the year sits at six. Heads up though, still some snowfall along the mountain passes this evening. Check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions. But even along the Coquihalla, we have an additional five centimeters. It'll be snow for the morning hours and then easing off as we get in through the afternoon. So there is an improvement if you're traveling along the mountain passes a quick heads up so for tomorrow break Wednesday it'll be unsettled with a few showers but then by Wednesday late night and in towards our Thursday Friday it'll be soggy once again we've got heavier rainfall that's going to move in and likely take us in towards the weekend so far still a few days out but a heads up it is going to be soggier towards the end of the week now along coastal areas will bump up to four degrees inland with still a chance for some flurries will be for smithers we've had some dense fog and we'll continue to see it this evening for the central interior Quinell included within that that should start to taper off through the day tomorrow. Southeastern corners and a few of the higher elevations, isolated flurries will be for the morning, clearing as we get in towards the afternoon. Showers along the south coast, the island will be included within that, the lower mainland, then breaks as we get in through the day. Pleasant with highs up to 10. Tomorrow, really the gem in the forecast, Wednesday late day into Thursday as we'll see the next round of rain. The temperatures anywhere between 9 and up to 11 degrees. Tonight's weather window, a great shot that was captured. This was the sunrise, Vanier Park yesterday, and Denise took this great shot. Guys? Very cool. All right, thanks, Yvonne. Squire just sat down. Well, actually, you were here. In plenty, In of, plenty time of time compared I know. to normal. running. Rare. I know. Very I don't know rare. what's happening. Yeah. It's 2023. Must be a resolution. I'm trying to turn over a new mm -hmm. leaf. That's working part so. Of my, you know, it's only the 10th or 9th, so. It's part of my New Year's resolution. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have? Okay, so we're going to talk about... Um, well, the Whitecaps started training camp today, although tomorrow they go to Spain. I guess they saw the weather and said, let's go to Spain. Uh, we'll talk about the Seahawks making the playoffs last night. Canucks are in Pittsburgh. And I'll show you what Connor Bedard did on his first game back from leading Canada to a gold medal. Exciting. All right. Thanks, Squire. Also tonight, invented by Mum, the Canadian design helmet helping sick children keep their head in the game. Okay, Squires here with sports. Mm -hmm. Living Laborda Loco over there oh at the White Cap. What? Been waiting to see Really? That, I just you? literally popped into my head. Are you <laughs> sure about that, or did that one start about 11 a.m.? No. No, Come it on. started at 11. All right. Squires call, called Inspiration it. just, it's like lightning. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's if it makes it you feel better, nice. good job. Oh, boy, thank you. The uh, Vancouver Whitecaps started their training camp today at UBC with their newest signing on the field as well. Defender Matias Laborda.
who comes from Uruguay. Uh, Vancouver is also going to add a striker in the near future. Their camp will be a traveling one. They'll also spend some time in Spain and Palm Springs. As for Laborda, he's 23. He's quick for a defender and someone a few other teams around the MLS were after. He's a good player. He's, uh, he's a guy that can... Uh, uh, play very well defensively. He's good. He's going to help also in the in the build up, and uh, he's bringing also winning habits. I would say he won the league last year in in, in Uruguay. So uh, of course we need to help him uh, adapt to the new situation here with the league because we know that the league uh, is a good test for everyone who comes outside from outside. But uh, I think he's going to help us. Ask not for whom the bell tolls. It no longer tolls for the Whitecaps. The bell that's been written across their uniform since day one will now be gone. The sponsorship has ended. The Whitecaps will soon have a new corporate name on their shirts. Don't know who it is yet, but there'll be a new one. Uh, today is Bruce Boudreaux's birthday. He is 67 years old. As a gift, he didn't have to watch tape of yesterday's game against the Jets. Tomorrow, the Canucks are in Pittsburgh, which means if you play defense like you did yesterday in Winnipeg, Sidney Crosby is really, really going to enjoy your visit. You know, you're playing against, you know, one of the best players to ever do it and, and you know, a couple other guys on their squad that's not too far behind. So um, we know we can do it. We've done it against you know, McKinnon, McDavid, um, you know, top players in the league. And, and now we just got to figure out how to do it on a consistent basis when, you know, when we need it the most. And um, tomorrow night against Crosby and Malkin and Latang and these guys, I mean, we got to be at our best um, in order to win again. And um, you know, it starts tomorrow night. Matty Beneers, one of the best rookies in the NHL, leading Seattle. And boy, are the Kraken playing great this year. Taking on Montreal, going with the Powder Blues tonight. The Habs playing as bad as those uniforms look. Ellie Tolvanen was a goal there to make it 1-0. Power play, one-timer from Daniel Sprawn. That makes it 2-zipped and Vincent Dunn. This is all in the first period, 3-0 for Seattle. And that is the same score and they are now in the third period. Well, because they're hosting the Memorial Cup this year, the Kamloops Blazers want the best team they can have going into it. They're already the top team in B.C., but they bulked up yesterday with a huge trade where they brought in Canadian gold medalist defenseman Olin Zellweger and forward Ryan Hofer from Everett for an incredible price tag. The Blazers gave Everett four players and ten draft picks, four of which are first-rounders. It's a case for Kamloops of the future being right now. The market's extremely high this year. It's as high as it's ever been, and um, that, that's that's just what it took to get to get the you know one of the top defensemen in the country. So, so we believed that at some point it might it might take a lot of picks to, to get something of this magnitude done. And you know, if it, if it would have taken less, we would have given less. Uh, definitely uh, the the best defenseman that I've seen. Uh, in this league for for a while, and um, you know, just uh, uh, not a huge guy, but a guy that you know plays the game the right way. His hands are so quick. Um, you know, I'm just excited to get out there and, and play with him. Connor Bedard was not tired from the World Juniors last night. He returned to the Regina Pats and scored four goals. Yep. <laughs> Can you imagine if the Canucks finished? way down the standings and won the draft lottery and got that guy. Can you imagine? I know it's not likely to happen, but it's fun to think about it.
In many ways, the Seattle Seahawks surprised everybody by making the playoffs. And it's proof that the game has not passed Pete Carroll by, the way some suggested it had before the season began. Not many at all thought Seattle would even challenge for a playoff spot, mind, mind you, actually get one. This Saturday, they'll face San Francisco in the playoffs. But Pete Carroll, one of the most energetic and optimistic 71-year-olds on the planet, kept his players believing all year when everybody else was waiting for the Hawks' wings to get clipped. And we really just kind of just brushed it off. And so that wasn't a factor for us. Um, it, matter of fact, earlier in the year, people were thinking, you know, they're really praising us for, for doing better than they thought. Well, we, we weren't satisfied with that either. So it's been, a, it's been hard. It's been a challenge. Um, we haven't gotten it done the way we wanted to, but yet here we are now and we're ready to go. So uh, uh, we're, we're going to be tough, tough to play against right now. Our guys are going to be ready to go. And the good news keeps coming for Buffalo Bills defensive back Damar Hamlin. He left hospital in Cincinnati, flew home to Buffalo, where his home is, and the uh, next stage of his recovery from his cardiac arrest, which was only a week ago, will continue in Buffalo. Doctors in Cincinnati at the hospital said he's already able to handle the physical therapy they have been giving him. And at the uh, U18 for women World Hockey Championships, Canada was a 4-2 winner over Sweden today, so the Canadian ladies are 2-0 at the tournament so far. And I know we got a little time to burn. You didn't know going in, but uh, NCAA football started as a bit of a blowout in that first half, hey, Squire? Georgia and TCU. Incredible. I didn't get a chance to check the score. It's 24-7 in the second quarter or something. For Georgia. I think for Georgia. Yeah, you knew it. I didn't have to tell you. Well, I. it's great that TCU got to the final. It's nice to have a different team get to the final, but I think Georgia's going to be tough to beat. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's easy for me to say now because they have a lead, but I would have yeah. said that before. Let's see what happens in the second half. Thanks, but the Squire. Seahawks are going to have trouble this Saturday against San Francisco. Oh, yeah. Nine-and-a-half-point underdog. There you go. Wow. All right. Thanks. Coming up, a crash course in helmet design and the Canadian mom who invented something better for her boys. Kamala is here with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Kamal? New Westminster City Council is set to vote tonight on an action plan in response to that chaotic late November snowstorm that led to a record levels of traffic gridlock. Now, councillors in December have been pushing for municipalities across the Lower Mainland to put together what's called a snow summit, which would bring together municipalities, the province and road maintenance contractors to discuss what went wrong and how to avoid it next time BC is slammed with a winter storm. So tonight, New West Council will vote on on a motion requesting that snow summit to happen as soon as possible. We'll have the vote for you at 11. Sounds good. Thanks, Kamal. All right. Whether you're on a bike or a skateboard or something else, protecting your head is important. But if you wear religious headwear on a daily basis, traditional helmets simply don't fit. For years, sick adults and kids have struggled with whether to prioritize religion or safety when participating in some activities. But as Neetu Garcha explains, one parent has come up with a solution which sacrifices neither. So we're going to open it up and now you put it on. 
Tina Singh is holding what she hopes will be a solution for parents like her all over the world. One to two finger spaces above the eyebrow. The mother of three boys designed this helmet created specifically for sick kids who keep their hair in a top knot bun and a cloth covering called a patka. They don't need mom to change the way that they've tied their hair or do anything different for them. They can just put it on and go. The colors for this launch are these ones here. So after about two years of testing and multiple iterations, Singh has released what she calls the first safety certified multi-sport helmet specifically designed for sick kids. It's a part of our my kids' identity, right? It's a part of the identity and who they are. She says the helmet is certified for kids over the age of five for use with bikes, inline skates, kick scooters, and skateboarding. I was put in the position of, you know, being an occupational therapist who works in the area of acquired brain injury but not having a helmet that fit my boys properly. All activities that weren't a safe option for her adventurous boys. Ride a bike, jump off the ramp. With it now in the production phase and sales set to launch soon in Canada, the boys are excited about not only the product, we have each different colors or sizes, but also being able to do activities safely like other kids their age. I don't think she's going to say anything now that we got this. The conversation around helmet safety for sick adults has resulted in other inventions like this tough turban made of bulletproof material, as well as helmet exemptions in some provinces. But Singh says this is the first time she's seen a product focus on kids who wear patkas. This is not meant to cover a full turban, full distar, anything like that. Um, this is meant for kids who need that protection while participating in sports. And Singh says her mission is to improve the inclusion, diversity and safety of kids in sport. I would love to make one for hockey because it's been in such demand from people once they heard about this, saying it would be really great because a helmet is mandatory for hockey and our kids want to participate. And she hopes this is only the beginning of product diversity in the market to reduce barriers for kids like hers. Neetu Garcha, Global News. Great idea. Sure is. Coming to a rink near you, it sounds like, too. <laughs> what a great idea. Okay, last word on weather from Yvonne before we go. We're still tracking some rainfall this evening. It's breezy for areas that are closer to the water. We'll have showers for the morning hours, but a clearing. Tomorrow is actually the gem out of the forecast. We'll have some sunshine in the mix. Grab those sunnies. The next round of rain will be heavy at times. So that'll be Wednesday, taking us in towards our Thursday, Friday so far. Great. Sounds good. Thanks, Yvonne. I'm not impressed, Yvonne. Yeah. I mean, I'm thankful for the gem tomorrow, but <laughs> come on. Do you want a shovel? You don't have to yeah, shovel. That's a good point. There's a silver lining. Thanks for the reminder. <laughs> Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a good night. Good night, all.